it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, episode number 706 for November 27th, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with another installment of Programming by Stealth. We are on 130, where Bart promises to teach us about good technical documentation. Wow, let's go get our teeth fill- drilled too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you might uh, thought you might find that title a bit dry. I, I couldn't really think of what better to call it because really... This is one of those layer foundation installments. I yeah. do I do push the horse out of the barn at the end, to use your analogy. <laughs> but to be honest, I'm pretty much just giving it a kick on the backside. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I read through the show notes and I think this is going to be really good. I, li- I like the approach you've taken. But before we get too much further into this, um, I have to ask you, what did you think of our guest lecturer, Helma Vanderlinden? I think Helma was superb. Um, I could not have asked for a better guest host, and I really appreciate all of the time and effort that I know must have gone into preparing that show. It was excellent. Yeah, I I cannot believe she took on the challenge of filling your shoes because, uh, well, first of all, you're amazing. So to step into your shoes is hard enough, but to have an audience that has listened to you 128 times and then all of a sudden, it's somebody else that's got to have been, you know, to know to know that you were doing that. But uh, nothing but good feedback. I think she did a, a fantastic job. I, I and I enjoyed myself, and the show notes were great too. Yeah, and I I, I learned a lot. I mean, I have been tinkering with ES Lint, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was great. It was exa- It was everything I had hoped. Like absolutely everything I had hoped, and then some. Like I couldn't have been better. And it gave you some time to uh, work on a couple of things, and we're going to be the beneficiaries of it this week. Well, yeah, yeah unfortunately, it did. what it really did was free me up from the fact that my darling beloved ended up in hospital again, and we would have been in abject chaos. Yeah. Um, as we'll get to, the, the, the chaos fairy decided to throw a bit of stuff, because I didn't end up choosing what I thought I would choose. I think when I introduced this, I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be using documentation.js, and we'll probably be using, you know, I made all these predictions. <laughs> and I tried to follow through in those predictions, and uh, we're not using documentation.js, but I'm not going to steal all of my own thunder from later, but <laughs> it didn't go to plan. Did not go to plan at all. But anyway, that's that right. is how the universe works. Well, good. Let's uh, let's start then. Okay, so this is all about right. You often hear the cliche, "Oh, my code is so good; it's effectively self-documenting." And sure, you can write really clean code, which is very easy to read, but that's only ever going to work on a small scale, right? So, within a function, you can write self-documenting code, or within a tiny little script. But if you write something even vaguely bigger, that's not going to work. You actually need documentation. And I I definitely joked way, way, way back when I was trying to remind everyone of the importance of writing good comments, right? So let's say that your code isn't self-commenting. You've actually written some comments, right? You've gone a little bit further. It is absolutely true that, you know, all comments are better than no comments, right? You know, comments are like coffee. Good comments are great, but any comments at all are better than none. (laughs) So... You know, I mean, that is certainly true, but it's not enough. The bigger your code gets, the more it takes for you not to lose yourself in it. And that's just yourself. (laughs) What about working with others? You know, the whole point here is we're building an open source API, an open source library that other people can reuse. Well, that means it's going to be more than just me working on it. So unless 
they all have crystal balls or the ability to mind meld. How is it going to work unless there's documentation? And even when you're working alone, frankly, documentation is a present to future me. I think it's hugely important. Uh, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. Right? So, so back up a little bit. What is documentation that is not comments? It is some sort of structured document that is formatted, that you can navigate, that you can ideally search, and that contains, basically, when you want to figure out how to do something in jQuery, you end up on a web page that lists all of the functions, and for every function, all of the arguments it can take, and it describes each argument, and it says what types they can be, and it says the return value for every function, it lists every function. That is technical documentation. Okay, so it's uh, a standalone is... thing separate from our code. Correct. And so well, like you go to jQuery.com and you type into the search box whatever it is you're looking for, and then it will give you back a list of functions or whatever. Mm-hmm. We want to have that for XKPassWD. Okay. And we, we need to have the ability to go find what functions are available, what arguments they take, what they should be, and so on and so forth. Okay. Um... There is also something else that I skipped over in the show, and it's a really, really important paragraph. I really shouldn't, right? It is it is bad having no documentation, but there is actually something worse than no documentation, and that's inaccurate documentation. If you read documentation that tells you that the sky is blue, but actually the sky is red, you will get the most infuriating bugs because you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And it isn't working. Because the documentation is a lie. Like cake, the documentation is a lie. So it's very, very, very important that whatever mechanism you use for creating the docs, they have to be maintainable. It has to be not just possible, because then if it's difficult, it's going to involve a level of self-discipline that is fine in theory and useless in practice. <laughs> so it's sort of like uh, an automated backup is the only kind of backup that actually mm. works because if you count on yourself to remember to do something, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, when I was writing the show notes, the, I sort of said there's no such thing as a free lunch, but that doesn't mean that all is lost, right? Um when you're making a when you're making your lunch or doing some cooking, it's a heck of a lot easier to do that in a kitchen that's well thought out, well laid out, and well equipped, and that has been well prepared for you to walk in and cook. Okay. You know, walking so, into chaos, not good. Walking into a well organized kitchen, good. So what we need is tools. We we know we need the documentation, and we know we're not going to do it if it's difficult. So we need some help. We need some tools. We need to build up a little toolkit to help us do that. And the thing we need is not a whisk. It is a documentation generator. Okay. And so that's what that's the concept I want to bring across today. So we're not going to use Microsoft Word then? No. <laughs> no. No. Really, you don't want to need a separate app. Oh, okay. The documentation has to be sitting with you, right? You're a programmer. You're in your programming environment. You're not in the office environment. So before we get to the act of writing documentation, it's actually quite important to ask ourselves, who are we writing for? 
right? Yeah, yeah. Because the phrase documentation is pretty darn broad, right? Mm -hmm. When I buy a car, I need to know how to turn on the demister. I don't need to know what size of wrench the mechanic will need when replacing the rear shock absorber in a couple of years' time. I hate to ask you this and derail you, but what is a demister? The thing, you know the way there's like these little lines of electricity in the window that make oh, the, the fog defogger. go away? Oh, the defogger. Oh, we call them demisters here. <laughs> Interesting. Huh, okay. <laughs> right, you need to know how that works, right? Or the fog lamp. Um, now, when I go to take out a mortgage, I need to know how do I do my repayments? How do I check my balance? How do I apply for a payment break? You know. What I don't need to know is what port the Oracle database server that's holding the data is listening on, right? You okay. get the idea. The, you know, there needs to exist somewhere a manual for the mechanic, and there needs to exist somewhere a manual for the sysadmin in my bank, but there also needs to exist documentation for me as the driver and documentation for me as the loan applicant, right? They're, they're different yeah, things. Yeah. So there isn't one set of documentation, usually. There's oh. different sets for different audiences. Okay. So we are creating an API for use by developers, right? So we're going to write the code to generate passwords that are strong and secure but memorable. And the idea is that other people can take that code and they can use it in their own websites. You know, why not have a website that offers you nice passwords instead of garbage? Or that use it in an Alfred shortcut watchamajigger so that people can do some sort of keystroke and have a good password pop into their clipboard. So uh, this is something I've been stuck on as I've been writing my own little apps is how do you know when you need to be releasing something as an API and when it's just something you wrote? You know, I wrote well, my time shifter clock. Should that be an API or should there be an API for it? I guess is the right way to say the question. Well, okay. So in that example, I would say that the Time Shifter is a self-contained app, right? What you're producing there is a web app that does a thing. Yes. XKPassWD, this project has sort of two phases, right? The first phase, three phases. The first phase is write the generic API that does the work of making the passwords. And that is very generic, right? Because it doesn't really matter what the UI is you put in front of that or behind that. The act of making the password is a self-contained piece of sensible logic that has uses. You could use that logic to make a command line app. You could use that logic to make a web app. You could use that logic as something in an automator action. You could use that logic as something, as a plugin for uh, Alfred or whatever other things people like to use. So it has lots of uses. So it's a reusable self-contained piece. Therefore, it has value as an API. Okay. But But the website that we create that is using that logic is would not be or have an API. There's no, no p- because it's that is a, a self-contained thing. Yeah, so it's a, it's a thing using the API. Correct. So I guess to give your time shifter clock an analogy, your time shifter clock is like the 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 future web interface to XKPassWD, and Moment.js is like. The, the API, API we're writing right, at the moment. Right. Well, uh, here's another example. I'm working on an app to uh, allow you to add time. So there's hmm. going to be math behind that of how that's going to work. And then there's going to be a web view that shows you if you type in here, you will see the addition of those those values. 
So the 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 logic could have the uh, would be the API. I mean, it's real simple logic. It could hypothetically be right. So if you felt that you were doing a better job of that than Moment JS, then you could release no, no, your no, Moment, version. No, no, Moment JS doesn't have anything to do with this app. There's no such thing as Moment.js. There, there is no Moment. I'm not using okay. anybody's stuff. No, I'm well doing then, math to sure, add then, to elapsed time, not absolute time. Then, yeah, you could absolutely, it would make sense to take the, the brains of that operation, mm-hmm. right? The, the bit that takes an input and produces an output mm-hmm. and wrap that up into a JavaScript module. In fact, that's a really good example of why you'd want to module it because that's a nice reusable chunk of code that you could then reuse the next time you need to do some horrible date math. It's not date math. Don't, don't, kick, don't, don't time, oversell you, you it. You know what I'm saying? It, it's yeah. time, t- that type of math. Whatever, yeah. whatever we want to describe it as. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just trying to get my brain around why you... Now, you talk about uh, if you're putting out it, it out as open source, you should do it as an API, but not necessarily. Mm, no, not everything's an API, right? There are open source apps. There are open source APIs. So jQuery is an open source API. Um, uh, the GIMP is an open source app, right? It's not an API. It's an app. There's okay. open source everything, right? There's open source yeah. operating systems, okay. Linux. There's, okay. you know. Yeah, open source doesn't mean API, but APIs can be open source. Okay. So and they can cost a fortune. we're going to be doing documentation of which? So the first step of our process here is to recreate the Perl module, which is an API, as a JavaScript module, which is an API. That's okay, remember, nobody one. listening, including me, knows what that is. That's right, the so that's magic what I'm saying. That is right now. Correct. So that is that is an API. That is an under. That is like Moment.js, like jQuery, like okay. Bootstrap. That is a piece of code designed to be used within something. Okay. It's not an end product. Okay. It's but a. We don't brain. know anything about this yet. Remember, your your frame of reference yes. is different than ours. We don't know what that is yet. Correct. So that I guess that's what I'm trying to explain. So it is the brains. It it okay. it, it is. It will. Take as input some settings and a dictionary file and produce as output good passwords. Okay. Okay. So it's a, yeah. So then it is the functions to do that will be the API. And so okay. we want to document them. What arguments are there? What configuration values can be set? What functions exist? How do you call it? What will it do? How do I make this brain obey my command? Okay. All right. And then we'll use our own brain to make a web interface as phase two. So that documentation is not for users, or is it? it uh, it's is for users ma- of the API, right? So when you're using Moment.js, you're a user. Mm-hmm. You're not a home, you're, you're a, you're a so developer as user, right? You're a you're consumer the, you're the homeowner. of their code. You're the homeowner not needing to know the uh, Oracle database port. Correct. Okay. The reason you're using Moment.js is because you don't want to know. You <laughs> really, really don't, don't want, want to, to know. know. Right. Okay, so there will be users of the, of the uh, PHP module when we're done who want to plug it into a website or an Alfred, so they need to know what the, the interface is. Correct. The wiring they need, Yeah, okay. they need to know the outside of what the thing offers. Okay. They don't need to have any idea whatsoever about the magic under the hood. Okay, so that's the feature. Who does need to know about the magic under the hood? The people writing the API. So that's our second audience. 
So people us. helping us create the API. Exactly. Okay. So there are users of the API and there are authors of the API. And there are two audiences. Okay. And so that's that's what we need to have in mind here. That's what we're trying to do. So what do those two audiences need is the next question. So before any user of an API can actually make use of the API, they need to understand the big picture stuff. What does this API do? What abstractions is it built around? So for jQuery, it promises to make it easier to interact with the DOM. Right? jQuery's whole reason to exist is to allow you to manipulate the DOM on a web page without icky native JavaScript functions. With Moment.js, the reason for the API's existence is because date math is hard. And it's done really badly, really often. So mm -hmm. here's a nicer API to actually do it for you. The reason that Bootstrap exists is because raw HTML is missing some fundamental features that everyone keeps having to reinvent. So why not give you a pre-packaged set of common things and you can use that as your starting point. So every time we've used open source APIs, we've, we've had a problem to solve and the API has solved the problem for us. And when you go to the web page, you'll find a little one paragraph elevator pitch telling you what it is. Like if you go to is.js's website, it'll say it's a, a micro type checking library. Or if you go to moment.js, it'll tell you it's dates made easy, right? They have a thing and they describe themselves in a big picture way before they get into their nitty gritty detail. All right. So we definitely need some of that. And that's equally useful, frankly, to both of our audiences here, right? How can someone help write an API that they don't understand the philosophy of? And how can someone use an API that they don't understand the philosophy of? So the, the big picture, here's the problem we're trying to solve and here's our approach, that's relevant to everyone. So in this case, since we're going to be taking, I mean, if, if I was writing uh, some code where I was going to have an API and I was going to publish it, I would want to write all that, but I would probably need to write that after I wrote my code because I have mm. this vision in my head of what I think it's going to be, but it's probably not going to be that. Park that thought, because that is a very interesting conversation. Okay. All right. So and we're going to have it, but in, the, in, in, this in this exact example, though, of what we're going to be doing together, doesn't that already exist for the Perl module? I mean, that wouldn't be any yeah, it different, does. would it? Um, it might need some updating because it hasn't been tweaked in quite a few years. Okay. So I might revise it a bit, but you're right. This is an unusual situation. It's not an right. empty page, which is okay. very pleasing, actually. Yeah, empty <laughs> pages are daunting. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that'll be kind of fun to have a place to start. Okay, all right. It will, absolutely. And on a similar note, another thing that both of our audiences need is that list of all of the classes that exist in the API, all of the functions they contain, all of the properties they contain, every argument that is accepted by every function, every error that is, every exception that is thrown by every function, what the function promises to do, what it returns, what it won't return, right? That low down nitty gritty description, which is what you get when you go to the jQuery documentation or the moment.js documentation, it will tell you that there's a function called add that expects blah amount of arguments. And if you give it this argument, it'll do that. If you give it this other argument, it'll do the other thing. If you ask it to do something impossible, it'll return null. If you ask it to do something sensible, it'll return an integer. Right, that list of what functions there are and what they do, that is 
That is the API, right? And everyone needs that, whether you're helping to make the API better or whether you're using the API, you need to actually have a description of the API. So you said every class and every function, but not that every is, class and every function would be necessary for the people using the API. Okay. So by definition, the API is the bit you publish. Yeah. So you're, co- you're right. You're, you're, you're very right that the actual source code will contain more functions than the published API. Okay. Okay. Right. And which gets us then to the point where the two, the two audiences finally diverge. And that's okay. the fact that everything that a user needs, a creator needs too. The user is using your module because they don't want to know about the under the hood stuff. <laughs> okay. But the person helping you write the module, every creator who's helping to create it, the under the hood stuff is what it's all about. So they need documentation of everything public and everything else. Okay. Every other function, every other variable, they have to be documented too. So what you end up with is a set of documentation and a superset of that same documentation. Oh, okay. Okay. So you don't rewrite that same stuff. It's just a, a subset of the uh, into the bigger one. Okay. So what actually happens is you write you write for the creators and you mark certain things as being not of interest to the public. You actually use oh. this. We'll be using a keyword private, but it's you know it's not private secret. It's just don't bother your pretty head about this private. Not <laughs> this is okay. a secret private. Okay. So you mark the things that are not part of the API, but do exist in the source code with a special flag that says, include them in one set of docs, but not the other. And the end result is two pieces of two websites is actually going to be the output for us. We're going to, we're going to build to the web. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have two versions of that built. One that just has more. The sidebar will just have more. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And anything that's not public will be marked to say, basically be highlighted as being, this isn't part of the API. This is, this is stuff you care about, not stuff the user cares about. So that it's very obvious where the line is between those two. I like that because that's a good smell. Yes, <laughs> precisely. Precisely. You're not duplicating any of it. Okay. Exactly. And again, it comes back to the fact that if this is hard to do, we are not going to do it because we are human beings. Mm-hmm. And while it, we, it's all good and well to have these mighty fine intentions, the reality is if you don't make it realistic, it won't happen. So let's not lie to ourselves. You know, achievable goals. Is one of the things that you include in the, con- the uh, contributor's uh, documentation punishment to those who don't follow the rules? <laughs> I mean, I just well, picture me being the deadbeat who's like, ah, I don't feel like documenting that. And then you must have some process for beating me, right? Well, the answer would be that the merge request wouldn't be accepted. Mm. The pull request wouldn't be accepted. It'd come back with a comment going, I, I would be spun positively. <laughs> Thanks for the contribution. This is a great starting point. Here are our developer guidelines. Please add a few more tweaks until, and then submit again. Okay, that's probably better than beating me. Yeah, I mean, that. look, there are open source projects that take that tack, but they tend to have... Uh, they tend to be short-lived yeah, because yeah, yeah. you don't attract much of a community by being a snotty person. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't achieve anything. So 
what we would like to achieve in our documentation. So the public documentation, what I want to have is a welcome page that gives the elevator pitch, contains a quick start guide, right? The other thing you'll notice if you go to jQuery or any of these, there's always a quick start guide. And it shows like two or three lines of code and you go, ooh, this will be easy. Quick start guide is often a lie, but you know, <laughs> it's <still laughs> yeah, important yeah, yeah. to be there. Right, right. You're going to need to have a more detailed description of the problem to be solved and how the module goes about solving that problem, which for XKPassWD, the Perl version of that documentation contains a whole big description of the mathematics and all the underlying logic behind it and how it builds passwords and all that stuff. So that, like you say, that's actually kind of written already, just mm -hmm. needs to be tweaked a bit. Then we need the API specification. So everything that we publish, we have to describe it all. And then... What should also be public, because the whole point of being open source is that you're working in public, you shouldn't hide away any of the following. Right? So they should be part of the public documentation. You know, there should be a section called how to contribute or contributing or something like that. Okay. And that section should set out realistic, you know, expectations of the difficulty level and stuff. And it should include the, the housekeeping. What is the contributor agreement, right? If you do a pull request and I accept it, what happens to copyright? Oh. Is it yours or is it the project's? And that's okay. a decision I haven't made yet, right? But that is a decision that should be made because if you don't make it... So if you know that the code is only ever going to be open source, then it doesn't matter who owns the copyright. Oh, okay. But if you want to do dual licensing, where the open source can never go away, but you also offer a closed source license with a few additions, a few extra bells and whistles, then the person offering the closed source license has to own the copyright. Oh. Because otherwise you can't close it. Okay. So it becomes a very big deal if you're if you when an open source project tries to be hybrid in some way, where it tries to be open core is, 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 is a code word that's often used. Or the other place it comes in is if you start off with GPL version 2, and then GPL version 3 comes out and you're saying, ooh, I much prefer V3 of the GPL. I'd like to change this project's license. If you don't have a developer agreement in place, then you need to find every single person who has contributed one character of code and ask their permission to relicense. Because oh, they contributed on. under V2 of the GPL, not V3. So this stuff matters. It's boring mm. as all heck. But it matters. And that's another thing I need to, to do before we go too far with this, is I need to actually find... I'm, I'm hoping to goodness that the OS, the OSI, the Open Source Initiative, have pre-made developer, developer <laughs> that agreements. That was immediately I just copy what I was thinking. Somebody's already written this for us, Bart. Would you just need to find the one that says what you think is the right way to go? And Precisely. as a project lead, would you be in charge of that? Yeah, I mean, that is that is what it means to set up an open source project, right? Is you're, you're basically creating, you're arranging the chairs and inviting people into a room, right? And you have to make sure everything's properly set up. Right? And you're going to decide whether people are paying for the coffee or not. Exactly, exactly. So that definitely has to be there. So do very practical things like the project's branching policy, right? We, you know, we talked about in our early days of Git that you need to have some sort of strategy that features go on feature branches, you know. All that really basic stuff, well, that should be written down somewhere. Because you can't just expect people to magically know what you want. People aren't magic. And then the other one, which ES Lint is going to do all the heavy lifting for us, right? The project style guide is going to basically say, 
The project contains a neslint config file. We expect that config to be obeyed. That's basically going to be our style guide. Okay. It'll probably have some English around that to help people. But ultimately, ESLint is going to do our work there. Without ESLint, you'd have to write copious essays. Yeah, right, right, With right. ESLint, you've basically codified your essay in a config file. You've just written it in yeah. JSON instead of English. Yeah. Um, and there really, really should be some sort of quick guide to say, hey, if you want to get up and running quickly, we suggest you install VS Code with these two plugins, and here's the config file I use for VS Code. You don't have to use it, but, you know, it's, that, that's a really nice thing to do for people. Right, right, Just, right, right. You know, a little hand Okay. Up. So that's all, that's all there in the public documentation. And you know something? That's exactly what the developers need, too. The only thing is that they also need documentation on all of the other variables that are not part of the public API and all of the other functions and all of the other classes. So it's just a superset. So I... I have a lot of experience with writing documentation. I've been programming for decades. Scares me to be able to say that as a plural, <laughs> but that is a true fact. I have been programming for decades. I oh, have don't been say trying. True fact. We're going to get emails. I know. From I Jill do that again. on purpose. You're doing it just a needle, Jill. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you called me very right earlier, and I figured that already. She's already typing right now. <laughs> that is. That is true. Very true, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's my homage to Bill Nye, because Bill Nye says true fact, and I like Bill Nye. Okay. Um, I have been attempting to write good documentation for decades. And I'll be honest, I have spectacularly failed on many occasions. I have produced utterly out-of-date documentation. I had great intentions. I started off great. And then the documentation and the code became very out of sync with each other. Uh, that seems and like that it's, there's a 100% chance that's going to happen. Ah, that's why you have to be clever about it. Okay. That is one of the biggest problems to be solved. You, you have completely, you have put your finger on the biggest pitfall and we're going to sidestep it. <laughs> you mean as in make sure it doesn't happen? Yeah. It, oh, okay. It's a giant big hole in the ground and we can see it and we're going to step right around it. Okay. Most people fall straight in. But that is the whole, that is that is the biggest problem. And that is what has tripped me up in all the times it's gone horribly wrong. Okay. So along the way, I have learned some lessons that I, I frankly, I'm going to just be honest about it. I feel quite passionately about this. So I'm going to call it my documentation dogma, right? I, okay. It is based partially on fact and partially on strong feeling. So <laughs> it's probably closer to religion than science. So I am a firm believer that documentation is source code. If you are going to create actual documentation that is actually kept up to date and correct, it should be in the file with your code and you shouldn't have to scroll to see both at the same time. It should be right there. Okay, so so when I said it was going to be a separate document, that wasn't actually true. It'll be published as a... Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So but it's actually in, so it'll be in our .js file. Embedded in the JS files. Okay. Yes. 
and not just embedded in the files, not at the top of the files, so you have to scroll up and down and up and down, no. When you declare a variable, the deed line directly above it without so much as an empty line between the variable declaration and the documentation will be the documentation. When you hmm. declare a function, the documentation will be straight above it. When you declare a class, the documentation will be straight above it. That is the magic of something called doc comments, and that is going to be the basis of our documentation. How do you guarantee so it's, it's not going to scroll if it's a long function? Well, okay. What I mean is it's not in two places, right? They oh, are okay. Okay. connected. They are joined. You don't have to do a split screen in, in VS Code where one scrolled to the top and one scrolled to where you are. Okay. Correct. Okay. The other thing that I... The other way that I know I write documentation is because I write the documentation first. What? Yeah. I do this, and this is not something do as I say, not as I do. This is, this is what I do. I only started to say it after I realized this is what I do. So well, if you that say to me... guarantees that you know how to do what you're about to do. I'm not quite. So the way... Okay, so let me just say that you're not wrong, but you're not fully right. Um, <laughs> so if you say to me, Bart, I need you to write a function to implement blah de blah I will start by typing the comment that says, this function does, and I will write in my best English what I think the function should do. Okay. I will then make a first guess at all of the arguments I will need to make that happen. And I will describe them. And I will make my best guess at the return type and I will describe it. I will make my best guess at the exceptions that are likely to be thrown and I will describe them. Then I'll write the code. And I will discover that my first guess wasn't perfect. And I will tweak both the code and the documentation. I will iterate. I like to go back up to the documentation, correct myself, and continue coding until I meet my next mistake. Then I will correct the documentation and then implement the new truth. And I'll circle around and circle around and circle around. And at the end of the day, whenever I change my mind, I change the documentation first, then the code. So I run into a problem, it, it, it doc first, then code. It seems like that would work if I knew what I was doing. Hmm. But I don't know what I'm doing well enough yet to be able to say that I could even... I, I, I've, I've started writing documentation right. before. Before I start writing it, I write, yeah, I don't know what's supposed to go here. I will, I've actually typed that in my current code right now because I don't know how to do what I'm trying to do. I know what well, it's... Like, I'm not even sure am I going to create a class or not. Like, I, so I can't describe what the class is going to do because I don't even know if it's a class yet. Okay, but so remember, I'm starting this iterative process at the very start. So the very first thing I'm going to be documenting is the the module itself, the the the, the, the giant big superset. So there's a document, there's a there's documentation that goes at the very 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 top level, and so I actually start there, and. That is my cue to myself to start thinking, is it a class? Is it a collection of functions? So the first bit of documentation I write helps me to get my thoughts in order. And it's often my documentation starts as random bullet points. Okay. All right. And then when I get to the bottom of the bullet points, I sit back and think, okay. So, okay. Then I start to put structure and I make a second draft. And I get a bit more specific and then it helps me think more. And so the act of designing, I do it, I doodle 
in documentation, right? Okay. It's a, it, it, it's not a, it's not a finished product. The act of writing the documentation is me thinking. And I may hit, you know, like that email you don't send to your boss, you've drafted five <laughs> times. Right. I will draft a comment five or six times. Wow. Until my brain has arrived at a point where I can write code. Huh. Or okay. no, I can start code. Okay. And then as I start the code, it's, it's like the fog clears slowly. Right? Because as you start typing the code, more things become more clear and you change your mind. Right. The documentation isn't the rule. It's what you think. It's your, like science, it's your current best guess. And if new facts come to light, you change your guess. So you go back up and just rewrite the comment. Change so it. So I, I think I do this, but it's scribbling in, uh, in notability. You know, I talk about how I, I use, uh, I write by hand when I want to think. Mm. It sounds like you're doing it typing in the, in the comments. This is what I, I want am. it to do. I think I'm going to have to need these pieces. I'm going to I'm going to need to add this piece over here and I'm not really sure and then some magic occurs, you know. That's what yeah. I write by hand, but I would have to be typing that. Yes, and there are reasons you might want to type it even if at first it seems like more effort because if you're interrupted, you can commit it to git and you can pick it up in 3 months. Yeah, I can do that with my handwritten notes, but it doesn't benefit anybody else, right? And you're hoping that you can find the physical world note to match the digital file. It's a digital file. It's not a physical note. It's in notability okay, and it's searchable and, and that sort of thing. The thing that right, I'm worried about, you... I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I will do this. But what I'm worried about is uh, when I start to type, I have to be correct. I have to spell things correctly. I have to, I can't write pseudocode. I, I am incapable of writing pseudocode when I'm typing. That I, I, so far. I will have to force myself I, to I write crap write code. Invalid, I will not write invalid syntax, but the two forward slash characters make a lot of stuff not invalid syntax. Wait, what? Comments. You Plain just said you comments. won't write invalid syntax and then you said you do. No, no, I'm saying, right, it would be invalid syntax to write if something or other. It's mm -hmm. not invalid syntax to write forward slash forward slash condition to do blah. Oh, okay. Right? It's, it's, I'm just telling you, it's going to be hard for me. Because that's one of the reasons I never, when I was working, I would never write in PowerPoint. If I had to think, I had to get a piece of paper and scribble, because otherwise I'd be making my indents look nice, and I'd have my bullets the right size, and I would make sure I had a title, and I'd spell things correctly, and I found myself unable to think because I was formatting and making it look correct. So I'll, I'll have to be fighting that. Yes, and your impulse is by no means wrong because I literally while I was a PhD student that was an area I was studying and we were creating tools to help students not get distracted by formatting <laughs> okay and Microsoft even heard you Microsoft of all people because there is a mode in uh, PowerPoint to go into outlining mode where there is no formatting oh that's good it basically becomes like one of those organizers where you just have different levels of indentation and you just organize your thoughts. And then you can flip into a mode that shows you slides and then you make it look pretty. Oh, that's that's smart. Okay. It's very smart because yeah, I have to do that. I have to put PowerPoint in outlining mode to get my thoughts organized mm -hmm. right? before right. I can make slides. Otherwise, you're I worried about thoughts. how many are on each page and all that nonsense. So, oh, okay. Yeah, no, all right. Well, I yeah. will try. I will try. 
Yeah, as I said, look, all of this is about finding a practice that works. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and this is, like I said, this is my dogma, right? This is not the truth. This is my belief. Okay. Which is different, very different. And my belief is open to change. But if it, if it results in good documentation 93% of the time, or complete. Yeah. So, yeah, so I have found that to I have found that to be a way that works. There are an infinity of ways that work, and there are probably an infinity of ways that work better. But this is the best I've come up with. Okay, so so far, so far, yeah, good. Um, and like I say, so the document first, start simple and keep iterating. Documentation. The whole point of having documentation as code is that it's not set in stone. It is alive. It is every bit as alive as every other line of code in that file. So while you're working on it, it's completely fungible. So start off with a one sentencer that's missing half its vowels, right? Just <laughs> something, anything, right? A little bit of coffee, a little bit of instant, doesn't matter, right? The world's cheapest instant coffee, anything. Okay. Okay. And then iterate, iterate, iterate. You know, it, better, better, better. Better is better. So just keep making it better. Iterate, iterate, iterate. The other thing is be consistent, right? So a lot of people like to misquote Rolf Waldo Emerson. He has a wonderful quote about consistency being the hobgoblin of little minds. Which definitely sounds like a pejorative on consistency. Yeah, what does that mean? Hobgoblin of little minds. It's a fancy pants way of saying that consistency is, is, is a bad thing, right? The hobgoblin of little minds. Consistency is for the dumb people. Hmm. But his actual quote wasn't about consistency in the sense of using the same word. His actual quote was about something very, very different, because the full quote is, A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. In other words, politicians who won't change their mind no matter how often the facts change, that kind of consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Using the right word all the time is not what he was talking about. So anyone who tells you that... Oh, you know, using the same word for the same thing throughout your entire document is a hobgoblin. No, that's not what Ralph Waldo Emerson was talking about. And I've had so many people say to me, ooh, consistency is a hobgoblin of little minds. It's like, no, it's the source of good documentation. So now, with that uh, done... Yeah, so, what, okay, what so do now that I've got my mean? little soapbox done, <laughs> so what do I mean? So I guess I mean two things. So... When there is a single technically collect, technically collect, technically correct word, use it, right? If it is a variable, use the word variable. Don't call it a thingy sometimes and a woohoo jigger the next time. If it's a variable, call it a variable. But we all know that there are lots of synonyms, right? So sometimes there's one word, so just use it. Never use a word that's not true in documentation, right? Don't use euphemisms in documentation. Stick to the facts. But when there's a synonym, like you could say function or method, pick one. I don't care which. But if you talk about a function here, call it a function over there and a function over there and a function over there and a function over there, right? When there are synonyms, use the same one. Pick one. Because otherwise, people won't, who don't know it's a synonym will get very confused because they will think they are different things because you've used a different word. Isn't that going to be problematic with um, uh, multiple people writing the same, all working on the same code? It has the potential to be, which is why you actually would have a style guide for the documentation. 
So like we, the New York Times have a style guide that says that you put dots between F, B and I and the New York and the, you know, the Chicago Sun-Times might have a style guide that says it's FBI. There will be a short style guide that says, please use function, not method. Okay. Okay. But you're right. It has to be captured as part of a group. Yeah. Got it. Okay. But, that makes sense. Yeah. And then one you will love, longer is not a synonym for better. <laughs> right? Better documentation does not always mean longer documentation, right? There are times when more really is more, right? So as your API matures and it gets bigger, well, your documentation should probably get bigger too for a while. But you know something? As your documentation gets better it's probably going to get shorter because a clear description is usually shorter than a wishy-washy one. And the more certain you become in what you're doing, the more succinct your descriptions will become. So over time, you should actually find that your um, your documentation actually starts to shrink. It, it starts off as nothing, balloons to too much, and then distills to better. Yeah, you know, I... Uh I was happy when Twitter went from 140 characters to 280 characters, but I think I wrote better when it was 140, is I would just find all these fluffy extra things I was saying that weren't necessary. <laughs> but it forced you to be succinct and, and tight in your, especially in, in writing something funny. So when I was new to technical writing, I would submit papers to academic journals and I got the same comment so many times. Excessive use of flowery language, too much ornamentation, mm. too descriptive. So, yeah, t- 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 you know, why say large when you could say extremely large, overwhelmingly large, you know, <laughs> spectacularly big, you know. True, I, I would just, true fact. True fact. Yes, that is, that is purely ornamentation. That's exactly what that is. That is ornamentation. That is flowery language. Okay. Um, so that's actually a bad thing. So, you know, you love the old cliche, you know, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long letter, but I didn't have time for a short one. You know, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long docs. I'm still working on shortening them. <laughs> and that one was Mark Twain, by the way. I didn't have time yes. to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead. Yes, I love that. I just adore that quote. Um, so what is our tool of choice going to be? We are going to use something called JSDoc, and we're also going to utilize ESLint. So this because is for automatically, our co- our documentation generator will be JS. Correct. Okay. So we're going to write the documentation in the JS files, which means they're right there in the JavaScript file. So ESLint can be our friend because as it happens, ESLint has a plugin for doc comments. Oh. So as well as making sure we do our strings the way it wants and we do our variables the way it wants, it can also make us do our documentation. In fact, ESLint can enforce doc comments. It can oh. say you must write the documentation. Oh, nice. Yes. That'll so keep the you know, deadbeats like me doing the work. <laughs> yeah, because you just get these big uh, shouty, shouty exclamation points in your VS code. It's like, no, you didn't do that, right? Actually, the other great thing is it'll do is if you document a function as having arguments named, you know, waffle and potato, and then you change the function so it actually says waffle and pancake, if you don't update the documentation, ESLint will notice. Oh, it's like you documented that's good. a potato, but your code says it's a waffle. What is it? Oh, that's excellent. Okay. Yeah. So that again stops code, the documentation going stale because ESLint goes, no, 
you said this, but it's doing that. One of these two is wrong. Oh, I like it. I like it. Hmm. So, after a lot of faffing around, which is what I I spent four weeks faffing around, and the day before yesterday, I finally threw in the dowel uh, and admitted yet again, for the fifth time at least, that JS Doc, like democracy, is the least bad of all of the options. That's a paraphrasing Winston Churchill. Oh, so you don't like JS Doc? I don't love it. Okay. I like many, many, many things about it. And I'm starting off getting the negative off my chest so that I don't end on a down. Because I do love it. It's really, really good. But, you know that thing that makes me cranky, the binards for nerds thing that makes Linux UIs terrible? Okay. I believe you. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm afraid to say the HTML produced by JS Doc suffers from that. They do try to keep up with the trends and they use the nice typography, but they don't actually understand design. So what you end up with is a really pretty page that isn't nearly as clear as it should be. And hmm. clarity okay. should win above well, the flowery-ness. text. Is, the text is just as clear. No? Yeah, but or the structure, if- the layout doesn't communicate. It's often difficult to see where the comment on one function begins and the other one ends. Oh, that, okay. that should not be difficult to see. Okay. Right? It should do a much better job of making your eye jump to the right things. The information's all there and it's all correct. And it just, it's, it, could, it, it could be better. It just it <laughs> could be better. So that's what makes me cranky about it. And I keep on thinking someone is going to do a better job. And so I keep on trying all the alternatives. And it ends in tears. Every time. <laughs> and on Thursday, it happened again. I desperately, desperately tried to make documentation.js work. Because it sells itself as being just what I want. And it doesn't. Yeah. I, tried to, I tried to use it to document our sleep till Christmas. And the end result was garbage. Oh wow! I couldn't make and it that, not. It's be not garbage. like that was that wasn't a uh, a big lift. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I couldn't make it do something simple in a way that was even vaguely useful. So I retire. I I resign myself again. I did, blew the dust off JS Doc. It has been updated since I last used it. It's it sucks differently. <laughs> <laughs> You're really selling it, Mark. I know, I know, I know. Because I'm getting this out of my system, right? So. Bearing in mind that I am not saying this is perfection. It's really bloody good. So, so wait a minute, reasons, so wait a minute. We're getting our teeth drilled and it's a rusty drill that kind of jams every once in a while. But trust me, it's going to be great. <laughs> we're going to have the most amazing teeth. <laughs> so It's better than that sore tooth. <laughs> right. So 10 reasons I love JS Doc. And there are, there are 10. I didn't even have to work hard to get to 10. Oh, okay. So... JS Doc uses a variant of something called Java Doc. So when I was a first-year programmer in 1997, Java was the hot newness. And because Java started life in the enterprise by a giant big enterprise company, Sun Sun Systems. Sun Sun Microsystems. Microsystems. I knew there was a word missing there. Um, It came with its own documentation engine built in called Java Doc. And Java Doc defined the concept of special comments being interpreted to make the documentation. Okay. 
So they're comments that become the documentation. And that whole idea became a de facto pseudo standard. And we call them doc comments. And the reason they're a pseudo standard is because they're 99% the same. But different languages are different. So there have to be some accommodations for JavaScript versus Java. So that's why JS doc is a little bit different to Java doc. And in fact, there's a version for PHP called PHP doc, which we'll be switching to when we move to PHP, which is another reason to love this approach. Okay, but there's so a few sort of the, differences because the languages are different. Okay, but the functionality and the way it works will be familiar. And so it's part of your theme yeah. of learning to code is transportable yeah. information. Yeah, I mean, the concept is identical and the implementation is 90% the same. Okay. But there, there are some differences because they are different languages. JavaScript is not Java. PHP is not JavaScript. But it's almost the same, which is fantastic. Doc comments are specially formatted comments, which means they're a part of the source code. So they're right there, right where you're writing the code is where the comments are. They're in Git. They're, they are part of your code. So your IDE can use them. They are your code. And that is the way programmers are going to have a chance of doing documentation as if it's part of the code. Um, the other thing is that because the comment is in the code... JS doc can actually do a lot of the work for you. You don't have to say this is a comment describing a function because JS doc can look down and see the word function blah de blah. Well, it knows it's a function because it says function right there. So JS doc is like ESLint can read JavaScript in order to criticize it. JS doc can read JavaScript in order to understand the documentation. Oh. So it knows that it's a function. It nice. knows what arguments it takes because they're written right there in the code. So it's okay, using so, your code to augment your English. Okay, so that, and that's another thing that will help us do it is it's saying you've got to explain this stuff because you've got it over there in your, in your function. Well, ESLint will do that bit, but there are things we never have to type. If we were using a Word document, we would have to type function blah blah exists and it takes these arguments. Okay. With JSDoc, we don't have to tell JSDoc that we're documenting a function. We just put the comment above the function and JSDoc figures it out. It lays oh. it out on the right page. It gives us all the placeholders effectively, right? Okay. Okay. Because it understands the code. We won't, we won't code. see that in our code? No, exactly. The whole point is we don't huh. have to write it. We'll see it in our output for free. Oh. Huh. Okay. Have so to see that, how that works. Know, yeah. Basically, it knows where to. It knows what you're commenting because of its context, which saves us a whole bunch of typing. Okay. Um, JS Docs gives us a really simple way of saying this bit's part of this bit's not part of the public API. We just say at private. Okay. And it just marks it as being part of the other of the private only documentation so we have our two bits of documentation by just typing at p-r-i-v-a-t-e that's it done that is how we distinguish between the two types of documentation you just at private nice js doc while it allows us to write our comments right in the code it also allows us to have standalone pages that get sucked into the documentation for doing stuff like describing the philosophy, describing the developer agreement, describing the branching policy, you can write those as separate standalone markdown documents that then get sucked in, 
which leads me to the other reason I love JSDoc, Markdown. JSDoc supports Markdown, so we can just use Markdown to make stuff be code. We just backtick and we're away. We want to make it bold. We just star star. Nice. All that stuff we can just nice. do. Nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Now, because doc comments. Can, can you back up the, the okay. uh, I wanted to ask you a question on the previous one that led into that. Um, standalone pages. What? I don't understand how they'd be standalone if they're embedded in our JS doc or in what our I'm JavaScript is, file. Right. But I'm saying you can have standalone pages too. Oh, so for the okay. things that are part like of the your code contributor agreement that need to be part of the finished product but are not part of a specific JavaScript file. Huh. Okay, but they would be written in JS doc is a format, is that what you No, they would be written as markdown files in a folder next to our code called manual by convention, and they would get sucked into the output. So JS doc will oh, take okay. As a second source of input, those markdown files and okay. merge that with your doc comments to make a finished product that contains your API documentation and your standalone pages. Okay. As one unit. So where are we writing markdown? I thought we we're writing in comments. In the doc and comments. Code and, okay. Hmm. So what, what, I mean, markdown is a plain text language. So why can't you put it inside a comment? I didn't say you couldn't. Yeah, no, the, I just so that don't understand where. Question. Okay, so it's going to say slash slash, and then a star on either side of a word, making it italics. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. It's all just symbols, right? The, but the whole yeah. the reason Markdown is amazing is because it's plain text, so it can go right there in the comments. Okay. So it's, it, it I think does, I'm with it, you. It, you know. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, now because. Doc comments are a standard. An awful lot of IDEs read the standard. And one of those IDEs is, thankfully, uh, VS Code. So that means VS Code can give you more helpful suggestions and things. So one of the things is a lot of times VS Code will give you tooltips when you hover over a function name or something. Right. Well, if you have doc comments describing what that function does, the tooltip can actually tell you this function. Oh. It can give you the English because it's pulling it from your doc comment. Oh, I need that for myself right now. Yes. What yes, does yes, this yes, function yes. do? I don't even know why I wrote this. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what it does. And because it's a standard oh. format, VS Code can read it and, uh, and use it to offer you help. Okay. Okay. That's just a wonderful bonus feature. And as I already mentioned, ESLint can help us write good doc comments because it's right there in the code. So ESLint can just go, hey, you've written a function you haven't documented or you've lied. You said there was a, you know, you said it was called potatoes, but it's actually waffles. You know, So okay. ESLint can help. And then the final thing is that, so JSDoc is going to spit out a web page. And the default look of that web page does not make me a happy camper. So in theory, because JSDoc supports themes... I could write my own theme that doesn't suck. <laughs> okay. But I have not succeeded. I have tried, but it's actually quite a lot of work to write a theme. So I keep on hoping that one of the many themes that show up when you Google for JS Doc themes will not suck. So far, I'm 0 for 50 or whatever the heck amount I've oh, tried. Wow. But I'm rather hoping someone in the community can find one. <laughs> well, I guess you'd need to is... define what not sucking was to them. For them to be able to tell yeah. what you don't like. 
I wanted to be really clear, easy to read, and responsive. Okay. I think that's the most important thing is that when I scroll through it, I can see where one function starts and the next, you know, one function ends and the next one begins. That'd be nice. But most of them tend to focus on being pretty instead of being useful. So I've uh, just discovered what's either a feature or a bug in Markdown. And I will leave it to you to tell me whether it's a feature or a bug. If you write a list of top 10 things and you skip a number when you're typing... It looks like you have 10 things, but you only have nine. So you skipped number um, eight. So, so did. if oh, you well. look at the rendering, it shows nine, but what you have typed shows 10. And I tested it in a completely different editor. Uh, I wrote my mm. own little list. I wrote one, two, four, five, and it goes over and it says, yep, that's one, two, three, four. But it never tells oh. you you made a mistake. It's a really easy fix for that because I only put the number 10 into that H3 heading at the very, very end when I thought I'd arrived on 10. I was just going to call it key features. Well, I'm okay. just calling it key features. Okay, I'll well, I can that. fix that here because I've got well, a couple of other typos I'm fixing here. <laughs> Grand, yeah. So just take that out of the heading and we'll pretend okay. we didn't offer 10. But because it'll um, make me crazy, I'm changing the, the markdown to show it 8 and then 9. <laughs> yeah, the official syntax actually is just one dot, one dot, one dot, one dot all the way down. Mm. That makes me even crankier. Yeah. But then I do things like this, right? Obviously, I had an eight and I decided it wasn't a feature. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what it was, but uh, obviously I changed my mind. All right. So anyway, um, because the theme is entirely separate to the actual documentation, the good news is if I find a theme five years from now, I can just change it in the config file and regenerate the documentation. It'll look pretty. So the fact that I don't have a theme I like does not halt our progress in any way, shape or form. We can write the doc comments and they will always be correct and we can make it pretty later. But I say, if anyone in the community finds a nice JS doc theme, please share. I am very much open to suggestions. Okay, so this has been a lot of theory today. A lot of theory today. So if you would like to see it in action and this this is like, uh, you'd like to say, you know, do we get to take the horse out of the barn? Well, we're going to kick it out of the barn. It's not ready, but we're going to throw it out anyway. Okay. Uh, we'll see how it gets on. So in the zip file for the installment, there is a folder called PBS130A, which contains basically a slightly updated version of our Sleeps to Christmas. I've added a few extra functions so that there's more to document. I've thrown in the doc comment. So if you open up, there's a folder SRC, which contains the file... Um, s2xmascalculator.class.mjs. That's the actual source code, and you'll see the doc comments in there. There's an index.mjs at the root, which we can run. So this is Node.js. So if you open it in the terminal and do an npm ci for clean install, you'll get all of the requirements, all of its dependencies. Okay. And then if you chmod it so that it's executable, and then you can just run the index.mjs, and it'll tell you there are 28. Eight for you, 27 for me, sleeps till Christmas. Uh, okay, uh, you're going awful fast here. Change mod mm. plus x index.mjs. Okay. Where am I? Why is it saying it doesn't exist? All right, I'm going to copy and paste. Did I typo? Or are you in the wrong folder? Uh, I, I'm in PBS 130A. Okay, so there should be index.mjs. No, there's main.mjs. Oh, then I called it main, so then the show notes need to be updated to main. Okay, I'll fix that. 
Well, that's why we do this live and direct. Okay. So now nothing, I do dot like slash uh, main.mjs. And there are 28 sleeps. You have 27? Mm. It is the other side of midnight here, so I'm on 27. Oh, man. I need to come over there. So, <laughs> all right. Santa Claus does arrive eight hours earlier. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um. So there's a, we have the code. If you'd like to have a look, you can have a look. You'll also notice if you open package.json that we define a developer, a dev requirement, which is JSDoc. And you'll also notice there's an extra file sitting next to package.json called jsdoc.conf.json. I'll, I'll let you guess what that might do. Uh, okay, this is a lot of opening and reading that I don't know what yeah, no, you don't have here. To, to be honest, you don't have to. You don't have to. These are... Okay. If people want to have a look ahead, they can... This is it, right? The key point is everything is set up here, and I will explain what I've done in next time. But everything here is set up and ready to go. So to make our documentation, we just type npm space run space docs. And that will build our documentation. Okay, so I don't need to have those open? No, no, don't need to open anything. You, 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 you're free to peruse any of it at your leisure if you're curious, but you don't okay. need any of it. So I typed npm space run space docs, and it says, Should say I, don't, it's I don't know what happened. It should have, okay, so it should have done some stuff and a new folder should have appeared called docs. Okay. Yeah, it's, it has, it typed out greater than and the S2Xmas at 2.0.1 space docs. Yeah, so it, it, it's done its thing and there should now be an extra folder in there called docs. Okay. Which contains some HTML files, including an index.html, which you can open in your favorite browser. Okay. And I have a web page. And that and was you have all. A web page. And so that was automatically generated by something JSDoc. you typed somewhere in yes. main.mjs? No. So, okay. So the jsdoc command took the comments inside src forward slash x2s miscalculator.class.mjs and turned those comments into that web page. Okay. I guess I just take it on faith that that happened. We didn't look at. Yeah, exactly. At I mean, the, like I just kicked the horse out of the barn, right? Okay. People like to see something. Here is a something. I. It's magic. Today it's magic. Next week it won't be magic. Okay. Next week it'll be very very sensible. But okay. For today it's magic. It does look pretty, and you hate that theme. Yeah, because it's really hard to tell. The, the, where one thing ends and another thing begins. And the other thing is it's doubling up all of my descriptions for no earthly reason I can find. Go into the documentation for the class and it just says everything twice. It has an oh, echo. Go into the documentation for the class. Where is that? So on the right hand, instead of the left, is a sidebar that lists what this module contains, one of which is the class. So there's a heading called class that lists one class because it's okay. a very small module. So if you click on the name of the class, you get the documentation for the class and it tells you there's a constructor and it shows you the arguments. And then under each function, it lists the description twice. Oh, that's a nice feature. Yeah, <laughs> my source code does not list it twice. I've checked and double checked, ironically. <laughs> okay. I don't know why it's doing that. It's not supposed to do that. So 
Okay, so this is proof of existence that this this concept of creating the documentation works. Looks like you wrote a lot. Well, no, because a lot of it is just coming out of the context. Remember I said that uh, JSDoc knows what's what? So actually, if you open up the MJS file, you can see I didn't write a lot at all. Okay. So if you go to the uh, the SRC folder, contains the one file for this massive project. Right? <laughs> and if you open well, that up in your favorite... That's what's scaring me is is that this is so much writing and this was for such a small little thing. Small little thing. Sorry, Jill. Uh, for such a small <laughs> thing. I suppose a small big thing. Yeah. yeah. A big small thing. That this looks it, like a lot of work. I'm scared. Right. But open up the MJS file and it's not that much. Well, I don't know what, what's what. So I guess I, sh- I won't get ahead of us. We're going to go through this next week. Sure, but I'm just saying, next time. if you open up that file, it's, it doesn't contain essays. Okay. Right? The quantity is small. That, that's sort of all. Okay. all of, you know, so. I think your definition of small and mine might be different, but it's okay. Maybe, maybe, but it's, it is information dense. Okay, good. It is efficient. It is efficient, and I like efficiency. Efficiency makes me happy. Yeah. I, I think as an engineer, you probably share that. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Automation that is, too. like I say, the, the, the demo is not an example. <laughs> it is a demo. <laughs> okay. It's me doing a magic trick. Uh, but I, I wanted to end on something practical. So next week, we, we basically pull back the curtain. There's a man, not very exciting, very practical, very sensible. We will, make, we will figure out how it works. It's okay. fine. All right, so, so that's that what we're going to do next away. week? I say next week, next, next time. Next time, right. Yeah, I'm so bad at this whole bi-weekly thing. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, yes, next time the magic goes away and it becomes simple and practical. Well, this uh, this looks like it's a necessary evil that will <laughs> that will make us happy in the long run, make future us happy, make our users yeah. of, of the API happy. Future you will thank present you many times. I, I am responsible with my work hat on for many code bases that have a long history. And it is not unusual for me to have to figure out quickly, while something is preferably on fire, how a function I wrote 10 years ago works. I read my own documentation. It's on a web page. I search for it. It tells me the answer. I put out the fire. Oh, okay. So it makes you happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just realized what this really is, is dental floss. It's not, it's yes! not getting, getting, having oral surgery later. It's, it's preventative medicine. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a small amount of effort now to save you pain. Okay. That sounds like a good place for us to end, Bart. Uh, we'll talk to you again in, in a couple of weeks. Indeed. And until then, happy computing. Yeah, I know we went long, but gosh darn it, I was having fun. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeed.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.